You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Good afternoon, depending on where you are across the coast on this weekday in most parts of the country. This is Greg Jewett. Uh, Al, of course, having a couple of technical difficulties, but he'll be joining us as soon as possible on our weekly fan rag broadcast. Um, some news and notes on just some things that have been happening either in the WBC or recent changes in uh, regards to uh, possible playing time. Uh, Sal Perez sounds like, uh, according to our, our own John Heyman, May, uh, may be clear of any major injury. It sounds like it's inflammation after his collision at home plate with teammate Drew Butera. Um, another, another player dodged a bullet in that same uh, scenario with uh, Francisco Rodriguez being reported with only a uh, tightness in his groin due to uh, compression short issues. So uh, two major bullets may have been dodged due to that, uh, that scary moment in the game uh, last evening. Um, moving over, uh, Al also had on the notes, JT Realmuto um, is not only uh, showing well with Miami, but there could be a little more chance for uh, play appearances. Um, he's been working out at first base, almost in the guise of uh, Buster Posey, who not only uh, usually leads catchers in plate appearances, but also uh, gets time at first base. So this this could best this could be a boon for uh, Realmuto as far as uh, getting more plate appearances this year, if he can be a first base, possibly in a platoon situation, given uh, Justin Bauer time off at first, and will also help his counting stats, especially in regards to Ramiro's ability to steal bases, which is a rarity at the catcher position this year. Despite Baltimore needing help on defense, they signed Pedro Alvarez to a minor league deal. So this is something to monitor in deeper leagues and league-only formats like American League only. Uh, Alvarez is definitely a boomer bust hitter, someone that can provide power, but doesn't give you much else help across the categories. Uh, Trevor May working a bullpen session, one in which Brandon Warren was recording video of. Uh, there was a pitch that you can almost identify where he hurt his uh, hurt himself throwing a curveball, and then he threw a few more pitches according to the beat writer on the team. And now Trevor May will be lost due to a torn UCL. Uh, for those who were hoping to get some late-round thunder with Trevor May as a starting pitcher, this is obviously going to harpoon his value this year. And it begs the question, is this along the same lines as when Brandon Morrow was moved from starting pitcher to relief pitcher back to starting pitcher when uh, when these players don't have a defined role early in their careers? Uh, it can mess with their shoulder and elbow, and it looks like Trevor May fell victim to this same thing. Uh, we also wanted to touch upon a little bit with David Price. He he threw some uh, pitches on the side in camp. Uh, definitely somebody whose value is in flux. We we spoke last week about how the first NFBC draft following the news of his forearm tightness, uh, it's been also associated with his wrist, uh, dropped him into the 100s in the, in the first two drafts following the news. Um, he's almost a player that uh, in my early season ranks, I had Garrett Cole a little lower because I was concerned and wanted to see how he would pitch. He threw three good innings uh, versus Puerto Rico the other day in an exhibition game. Um, this I, I've pretty much swapped out Garrett Cole and David Price in my rankings, pretty much trading their spots. So uh, David Price is definitely going to be a wild card in drafts. If he can come back healthy, he was already due to be a bounce-back candidate. So this is definitely a, a player that needs to be tracked going forward and it's going to there's going to be reports about velocity and how he's throwing, but all reports from the first outing was 
he was free and easy and things went up without a hitch. So it'll depend on how long the Red Sox take to put him into uh, any potential game situations. But with the extended spring, they can definitely take their time. Uh, it'll be worth watching to see if he ends up on the DL to start the year, maybe protect his early start. So they have him towards the end of the season and how this will all play out as it goes forward, which throws a huge uh, cloud of uh, uncertainty in regards to folks that are drafting now, especially if you're in uh, NFBC drafts or any leagues that are drafting early. Shifting gears a little bit to another player that's just as unpredictable, Yasil Puig hit two home runs Friday against Texas. Uh, seems to have everything coming back into play. It, it's it's easy to forget that Yasel Puig is only 26 years old, um, has performed at a high rate in the major leagues before the game almost came too easy to him. Um, and then last year, doing his stint in the minors and all of the uh, media flurry that followed that and, and him working his way back into the major leagues, it's going to be very interesting to see if not only Puig can recover to his earlier levels, but if uh, manager Dave Roberts can get the best out of him, there, there's unlocked potential in him. Uh, his, he's going very late in, uh, in drafts in regards to his talent ceiling. So this is definitely somebody that uh, people are going to want to track as the spring continues to see if he can keep having good swings. We're just looking at swings. We're not looking at total performance in spring training, but you're looking for guys that are on the cusp of a rebound or, you know, the classic post-type scenario, things of that nature. So Puig's definitely somebody that uh, I would like to get Al's opinion on, and I know other people are sort of excited about to see what he can do this year. Um, our next segment was going to be talking a little bit about uh, spring standouts. So until Al gets back or if we get to break, I'm just going to get into a few guys who uh, have shown early hints of hope or recovery in regards to their starts. Uh, first one for me is Jacob DeGrom. Um, I think people are really taking too much into account of how he finished last year when he was pitching injured. Um, he had he had a little minor work in the offseason to, to repair his elbow. Um, he was hitting 96 on the gun in six innings pitched this year. In spring, he's already got seven strikeouts. Again, I mentioned the velocity was back. Um, this is a pitcher with a career 2.74 ERA and a 1.1 whip. Um, when, when the top pitchers are really being targeted heavy, heavy in drafts, uh, DeGrom makes almost a perfect number two starter in fantasy this year with number one upside. Um, he's really been sliding in, in the draft of champions. Um, in a league I was in, there was a heavy, heavy uh, starting pitcher push in the beginning, and I was caught at the wrong end of it. So I took DeGrom and some other upside arms to kind of layer through my lineup. Um, as long as he's healthy, that could be a very good pick. Uh, especially when other pitchers, I think, that are not as talented as him were being reached before that. So if DeGrom's uh, injury issues kind of cloud people in your drafts, I think he makes for a perfect uh, number two starter. Uh, another pitcher that I mentioned earlier in regards to switching spots with David Price is Garrett Cole. Um, again, he didn't have any strikeouts in his Puerto Rico, but he did work three innings. The reports on velocity was good. Um, you know, he's more of a, uh, a plotter. He got 200 strikeouts, but he also needed 208 innings in 2015 to reach that. But another pitcher who had injury issues last year, uh, same deal. His his NFC ADP is uh, still hovering in the early 100s. So I, I think this is another pitcher where if you've got somebody like Cueto that can absorb innings early in your draft, uh, makes for another great pitcher with upside, uh, as long as the uh, reports this spring hold steady with him. 
Uh, Marcus Stroman uh, showed his second half may not have been a joke last year. He had a very strong first outing in the spring and, and pitched brilliant last night for the uh, United States prior to the bullpen meltdown. Um, Stroman seemed to have everything working despite his diminutive size. I think people need to take heed that uh, his quiet second half breakout really seems to be overlooked in early drafts. Uh, he also got paired with the team that I was talking about in my NFBC. Uh, I have DeGrom, Stroman, John Gray, and McCullers are my first four pitchers. Yeah, there's some risk there, but there's also a chance for good upside. So you have to balance all of these with the drafts, but I think uh, Stroman could turn in a solid year, and he may end up having a better year than his teammate Aaron Sanchez, who was really taxed last year with 100 innings pitched over the season before. There's got to be some fallout uh, due to that. Uh, a pitcher of more concern would be Felix Hernandez right now. Uh, his velocities are down, and we know that pitchers can learn to, to adjust with reduced velocity, but the, the lack of difference between his fastball and changeup speeds right now makes it very difficult for him to keep hitters off balance because, you know, even if they are fooled with the changeup, they can still adjust with the speeds being almost in line with the fastball. Um, I, know, I know it's only spring, and I know it's very early, but um, his name keeps him very... Uh, relevant in, in ADP, and he doesn't really take a hit as far as value. So I'm not sure I'm going to be reaching for uh, Felix in any drafts this year just due to uh, unless I see a change, uh, a more appreciable change between his fastball speed and his changeup speed. Um, speaking of speed, Taiwan Walker mm -hmm. seems to be getting healthy. Not only is his foot feeling better, um, I watched his uh, first three innings of work the other day in Arizona, and uh, he's pitching well. In nine innings pitched this spring, he's already got 13 strikeouts with a .44 whip. Um, this this is a pitcher that people have always been waiting to break out and in and, and the perfect uh, post-type thing. I know people were reaching for Walker last year, especially based upon his strong spring. Uh, this year he's got the same start, but if that foot is healthy and his arsenal is ready to go, especially with the uptick in velocity, uh, you need a solid base to have everything up above going well, and I think Taiwan Walker is uh, a perfect candidate, especially where he's going in drafts. All right, well we're gonna we're gonna take a little break here, see if we can get Al in, and uh, hopefully you stay tuned. We're gonna talk about a couple more guys in the spring standouts, and then we're gonna transition to talking about the Cardinals. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, everyone. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is my co-host, Greg Jewett. Uh, I apologize for not being on the first uh, segment there. Had a little technological malfunction, uh, but uh, I'm here. And Greg, thank you so much for, uh, for carrying the load there. No problem. <laughs> so, uh, funny with, uh, I would say it's gonna kind of funny we're talking about relief pitchers later, and now you're coming in out of the bullpen, so it's perfect. That <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, uh, I'm uh, sure uh, you had a strong start there. I'm <laughs> sorry uh, uh, that uh, I missed out on some of the discussion. I was particularly, uh, and we could do it now, um, especially since I, I wanted to use this segment to talk about some spring standouts. And Yasiel Puig uh, has been a standout in, in maybe more way than one. Uh, he had a two-homer game uh, against the Rangers on Friday. Uh, I'm guessing that you did uh, talk about this in the last segment. Uh, is that right? Yes, but I, I did, but I wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, I, I've liked what I've seen in his swing. Um, he seems to be playing with his hair on fire, which I think um, is something that he needs. I, I hinted that things kind of came easy to him at the beginning, 
and then the league adjusts, and then he had a hard time adjusting back. But um, I think Robert supports him, and I think he feels comfortable, which means that uh, a return to his uh, pre-struggle um, statistics could be on tap. Yeah, well, and, you know, certainly from looking at the production, that, you know, that would seem to make sense. And yet there was a piece in the L.A. Times that I thought really gave a very different tone to uh, Puig Spring. And, and again, not so much what he has or hasn't accomplished, but that uh, it does not seem like he has the same level of support from the organization. So that to me is something that it actually neutralizes and, and then some the impact of anything that he does on the field this spring, because, uh, you know, as we've talked about several times throughout the spring, that the Dodgers have a wealth of outfielders. There's not really a place for everyone to play. And, and I have to wonder if Puig loses time to maybe, you know, Andre Ethier um, or, uh, I mean, I would assume Andrew Tolls is probably going to be pretty secure, but now I, f- I feel better about his playing time. So, you know, this off the field stuff actually uh, in, in terms of what's going on in the organization worries me more than, anything that, that Puig is doing. Do you have the same concern or you, or you just feel like Puig's skill set is going to win out no matter what? Uh, well, I, I did read that same article and it's interesting you bring it up. It's just, it'll, it'll be, it's going to be hard to predict just like anything with Yasiel Puig is. And we kind of touched upon this last week as well. Um, again, if he keeps producing in the spring, I don't see how they can really suppress or take a bats away from him. So, um, it's definitely in Puig's court. If he wants to play, he's got to perform. And so far, he's been answering the bell. But we got a couple of weeks to go here still. That's true. Yeah, this could take many twists and turns before opening day. Um, by the way, I do want to get to the spring standouts. What part of the spring training this year, of course, of the World Baseball Classic. Did you uh, get to that at all in the first segment? Because um, not that there's necessarily fantasy impact there, but pretty exciting game last night with the U.S. and the Dominican Republic. Uh, did you did yeah. you able to catch a little bit? So. Um, I spoke about Jacob Degrom um, and the rebound and velocity. I spoke about um, I spoke about David Price, and I said I really, you know, you know my pitcher rankings. I pretty much flip flopped him and David uh, David Price and Garrett Cole um, based upon Cole getting back on the mound, even though he had zero strikeouts against Puerto Rico. Uh, he went three innings without giving up a run and. Uh, the reports on Cole seem to be positive. Um, I did touch upon Marcus Stroman, and I, I ventured a thought saying that I think Stroman can end up uh, ranked above Sanchez this year on the uh, on the player rater in the final things. I was a little worried about Sanchez with that extra workload last year. Um, I think Stroman's second half says that there's another level he can get to um, compared to last season. And I did talk about uh, Felix Hernandez so far being a concern just because of the uh, – that you can't see much of a difference between his fastball and change velocity, which really kind of neutralizes uh, the pitch for him. And I did talk about our boy, uh, Taiwan Walker, but um, let's get a few of your, uh, your spring. Yeah, let's, let's start there. Cause that, that is the next place I wanted to go. And of course, Walker having a sensational spring and Greg, you and I offline uh, a day or two ago, you know, we had a little discussion about Walker cause you were telling me you were, you were excited about him because of the great spring, or at least I'm assuming that's why. <laughs> well, I said, I'm nervous. <laughs> he's going to pull me in again. Okay. That's a little bit different, but there, you know, there's, there's some positive spin to that. 
Oh, yeah. and, or at least that's oh, yeah. what I focused on. And I said, well, didn't he have a great spring last year? And then I went back and followed it up. It was two years ago. But I think you could, you know, maybe I, I could, you know, throw cold water on it in the same way that two years ago was also not a tremendous season for Walker. Mm-hmm. It was it was different than last year in that he had some very high highs in 2015 that when those occurred, and I think that was roughly mid-season, maybe May, June, going off of my memory. And yes, I yeah. remember when that happened, a string of eight or nine starts where he was truly dominant, um, Taiwan Walker. And that really validated the excitement that he generated in the spring. Uh, and then really the, in the second half, it, it kind of fell apart for him. And then he never really rebounded last year. But then you bring up the fact uh, or you brought up, you know, the, the issue uh, in our discussion, you know, that he did have a lot of struggles uh, with his foot last year. And he's had the mm-hmm. offseason surgery to try to relieve that. So that's, that's a lot of information to throw out <laughs> there. But, you know, so there's a couple angles that we can look at Walker Spring and try to figure out where exactly to draft him. Because... He had a good spring two years ago, followed by an inconsistent and overall sort of mediocre campaign. Had uh, surgery this offseason that could point him in a positive direction this year. So where do you sort all of this out? Because for me, um, it, there's just there's still too much uncertainty and risk in, in all of what we just went through for me to really reach for him beyond the later rounds. Yeah, I, you know. I like him where his ADP is. I don't know that I'm going to go uh, jumping him way up above that. Although the, if, a, if you have a team that's searching for strikeout upside, he's a worthy dart throw. Um, in, in my, in my, uh, I was telling the the, folk, the listeners in my uh, draft of champions one, I'm doing my first uh, toe dip into the NFBC. I basically had to decide between I could I could pick Velasquez or Walker, and I went Velasquez, and then Walker went pretty much two or three picks right after that. Um, I just have a little more trust in Velasquez's stuff, and I know he's had some injury issues in the past too. Um, it was just a comfort thing for me. I, I am enticed by Taiwan Walker, but I thought, and I could be wrong, but I thought Velasquez was a little more of a sure thing between the two. Well, that is interesting because I actually, even though I just poured some cold water on Taiwan Walker and, and his draft value, I would do it even more so for Vince Velasquez. And and it's an interesting comparison, Greg, because these are both players who have had some reputation, and I have no idea if it's deserved or not. I'm a little skeptical myself, but have had some reputation for being maybe a little hard to coach or, or maybe um, you know not adjust making adjustments as quickly mm-hmm. uh, as their organizations would like. And I, you know, the thing is with. Walker, there is that countervailing argument of, you know, no, that's not the problem. It was his foot, which, which, whereas with Velasquez, I mean, there were even, you know, quotes the spring where he was being advised to, um, you know, think about his spin rate and, and not locate so high in the zone and, and sort of, you know, publicly poo-pooing that suggestion. Um, so, yeah, I actually had a really uh, interesting conversation with with Liz Rocher about this on the on the show uh, not so long ago. So, so what is it about Velasquez that you actually like better and and feel like you make th- that it makes you trust him more? Uh, just a little more. Uh, I mean, I know they shut him down a little bit last year, but if all he needs is one of those uh, secondary pitches, I mean, his like stuff's all the same when you look at 
uh, Brooks baseball, his whip per swing with the fastball last year, 27.45. With the change, 29.7. With the slider, 27.3. And with the curve, 28.4. I mean, he's got he's got effective he's got four effective pitches. It's just a matter of uh, finding which one is really going to give him that that strikeout hammer. I mean, he's been getting strikeouts. It's just a matter of uh, you know making that that final adjustment in terms of his repertoire. So. I don't know. I mean, I might have made the wrong choice. We'll see what happens. But, you know, uh, my next couple of picks when I'm taking pitchers in that in that same league, you know, with that 15-team format, I need to get guys that are just going to be innings eaters. I've taken a lot of upside recently, so I need to I need to follow that back up with hopefully guys that can absorb innings in case there's injuries, or I'm also going to take a couple of uh, middle relievers that can work multiple innings to help balance that out. Yeah, well, that's I think that strategy makes a whole lot of sense. Um, well, we focused a lot on on Walker here. Who are some other players uh, this spring who are changing your mind for the better or for the worse? Uh, well, we're still. I mean, Keon Broxton's reached base in ten games. We can't seem to get away from him, and his four twenty four on base percentage uh, is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, he he went he went way above ADP in the uh, in the in the draft of champions on then. Um, another positive one is uh, our boy Drew Hutchison still still plugging along. Nine strikeouts and nine innings pitched, only two two earned runs so far. So we're waiting to see if Sears can work the magic. But it's uh, it's looking okay for Hutchison. But uh, again, I'm still uh, I'm still still being tepid. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch him a little more and see what happens. But uh, those are a couple more of the guys that I just been tracking. And I did say it's kind of way under the radar, but Jacoby Ellsbury looks kind of healthy this spring. Three yeah, stolen bases, three tries. And- yeah, he's got yeah, they got the steals, the numbers are good overall for Ellsbury. So yeah, that was uh certainly one that that turned up on my radar. You know, I I, I really I went through the leaderboard with the hitters and you know, of course, and just tracking it day to day, you know, looking at box scores, following the news. And there's some interesting hitter um performances. You mentioned Broxton and Ellsbury. I'm having a harder time putting stock in those than the pitchers. And mm-hmm. You know, I, maybe it's just a matter of that with pitcher command. That's something that, to me, um, you know, stands out a little more, and, and it's sort of harder for me to break down the hitter performance and, and say, okay, well, where where's the real, you know, Im- improvement here, or, you know, or maybe the real decline. So I, I had a hard time picking, uh, a, you know, kind of a, a spring breakout. That's not really a great term, but you know, a spring hitter performance that was changing my mind. But with pitchers, yeah, that was a little bit easier. You know, like you with Walker. Um, and we talk. I, I'm focused on the other end of the um, Diamondbacks rotation, the back end, and I think it's an interesting competition. I've liked Patrick Corbin. I like what he did at the end of last season in the relief role, and had some hope that maybe he could bring that performance back to a starting role. Um, he's been up and down, Corbin, but Archie Bradley has been so miserable that I, I really like Corbin's chances to to almost by default win that fifth starter spot. And Anthony Banda, I don't think he'll break camp with the team, but I think that there's enough uncertainty in that rotation and, and that he's emerging quickly enough that I like him as a draft and stash guy in, in a deeper format, like maybe the 15-team type format that you you were mentioning, Greg. So you know, Corbin mm-hmm. and Banda are, are moving up my... Uh, my rankings a bit and one last name to toss out there before we go back to break. And that is Danny Salazar, not in a good way. Um, I think he's walked nine batters to date and I apologize because I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, 
But that was the one thing I wanted to see an encouraging sign from uh, in regard to Salazar and not seeing it yet. So it's a risky pitcher. I think that now looks even riskier. So any quick thoughts on, on Salazar? Well, he did have his best start yesterday. He did get six strikeouts with one walk in his four innings. But, yeah, early on it was definitely, we talked off air about uh, having concerns and is there any lingering shoulder, any lingering issues with his uh with his injuries from last year, what, what, what caps Salazar a lot is he gets such high pitch counts early in games with the walks that he can't get past five innings and that, that deflates his wins. Yeah. And that's not going to work out for you as you look for your innings eaters, uh, right? <laughs> They're at the draft. So no, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, another interesting rotation, the Cardinals. So we're going to talk a little bit about them, but uh, interesting outfield too. We got a lot of Twitter questions. So we're going to hit all of that right after break when we come back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. With me today is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag. And uh, we have just wrapped up, or actually, I guess that's not totally accurate. Today, later today, we will be just wrapping up our draft guide. We've been closing things out with our discussion of relievers. Uh, We're going to wrap that up with uh, our discussion of reliever strategy and We'll be uh, previewing that a little bit later in the show. So right now, Greg and I, we're going to uh, turn our attention to the Cardinals. Uh, very interesting team this spring. Uh, and there's actually a uh, piece by Derek Gould in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that came out this morning where he was talking about several pitchers on the staff who are uh, breaking out a new pitcher, dusting off an old one. And uh, two starters uh, in this group, Adam Wainwright uh, bringing back a circle change and Brett Cecil um, working on a four-seam change-up. And I think, uh, or I'm sorry, I I didn't talk about Cecil. Cecil, of course, in the bullpen. I met Mike Leak uh, with his two-seam change-up. So uh, I think those are both potentially interesting stories. Where are you at with Wainwright after a down year for a pitcher that's in the the post-peak phase of his career. Are you done with him? Does this interest you that he's dusting off an old pitch? Uh, Where where are you at with him? Uh, I'm not done with him. It's just a matter um, of of what we're looking at. I mean, the the change-up coming back is that he said he he threw more in the spring start start the other day than he did all last year. So it's definitely something he's uh, focusing on and trying to get into the repertoire again. Uh, in the NFBC draft that I'm active in right now, he went in the 15th round at 222 overall. I mean, it's not like that's a huge price to pay for Wayne Wright, uh, especially if the Cardinals have a successful year and he can uh, fall into a few wins. I mean, if you get double-digit wins and 150 strikeouts at that price point, I don't think it's a big problem. Um, there could be a chance for growth there, so... You know, it's just a matter of, uh, of what you're looking for in your team and what you think he's capable of this year. I'm intrigued, um, just especially with the depressed price. It's just going to matter of uh, how he finishes up this spring. And how about uh, Leak, who not only is uh, working on this change-up and is comfortable with the grip, and I guess this is something that he's worked on repeatedly, but he's um, he's more comfortable with the grip than he's ever been. And also in another piece I read that he feels like he's more mature than he's ever been. So this is not a best shape of my life story. This is a best maturity <laughs> of my life story for Mike Leak. Uh, any interest there? 
Well, can we get that maturity thing with Walker and Velasquez and I can breathe easier? Um, <laughs> you the, the thing with Leak is, yeah, the thing with Leak is, it's a, he, you know, he's still a ground ball mostly pitcher. So, I mean, the, the strikeout upside he is really not there. It's just if that's something you're looking for in fantasy, if you're looking for strikeouts at that point in the draft, you're probably not targeting Leak. But um, he might be a perfect, like I was just talking about a scenario, looking for some innings eaters. And another three, four rounds. We're in the 18th round right now. Um, I need to target a couple of uh, middle infielders for speed. But um, uh, in a round or two, I, I wouldn't be afraid to throw Leak in there just because I'm probably going to get 170 innings. And if there are innings that don't hurt me, that's perfect for guys. If one of my uh, upside guys gets hurt or can't pitch or gets shut down at some point during the season, um, I have Leak or a reliever to fill in there. Yeah, I think well, that's that's a good role for him. Yeah, it it puts me in a this, these reports put me in a tough spot with Leak because he is somebody that I really had the last couple of seasons I have really ignored, and when in, when he's had good stretches, I haven't bought into them. And I think for the most part, he's kind of validated my my skepticism. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if just you know a report of of an attitude change and another report of of him uh, expanding his repertoire is is really enough for me to go on but like you say there's utility there if he can continue to be an innings eater and just give us a little mm-hmm. bit more in terms of strikeouts but you know on the show we, we talk so much about well this one's a good late round flyer and that one's a good late round flyer and you know in different leagues you can try different things but ultimately you only have so many late round picks to to you know gamble away and and i have to say honestly mm-hmm. i just don't still just don't have enough on leak to to include him in that group, but I'll, I'll be watching. Yeah, that It'll makes be interesting sense. to see. Yeah. Well, we, we got a few Twitter questions here. Actually, we've got uh, several from Mike C at FB Mike 13. Mm-hmm. And um, so let's, let's stick with the rotation here for a second. You, in fact, you talked about Carl or no, I'm sorry. You talked about Garrett Cole earlier in the show, Greg, and Mike wants us to compare Garrett Cole and Carlos Martinez. So he asked specifically, who do you see getting their 2015 K9 ratio back again and being a fantasy ace, Cole or Carmart? It's like apples and oranges because um, in the beginning of the show at the lead in when you weren't here yet, uh, you know, Cole got 200 strikeouts in 2015, but he needed 208 innings. He's more of a compiler than a high strikeout guy. Um, Martinez show flashes of that strikeout ability. Uh, in 2015 as well. And then last year, he sort of traded some of that for more ground balls. Um, his changeup wasn't as effective. If Martinez gets his changeup back to the 2015 level, he's the higher, he's the higher, uh, he's going to get more strikeouts than Cole per inning um, as far as that per nine rate. So um, if it was just purely who's got the higher K percentage at the end of the year, I'd probably say Martinez. It doesn't mean that he's going to have more value than Cole, but but it all depends on that changeup for me with Martinez. He was still lighting up the radar gun in his WBC start. It's just going to be a matter of um, there was a lot of regression on that changeup as far as uh, batting average against and things of that nature last year. Yeah, and I'm with you on, on Carmart, although I'm now looking at my um, most recent set of rankings. And somebody I should have mentioned in the previous segment in terms of who's moving up for me it would definitely be Garrett Cole because he was somebody coming off of last year mm-hmm. who who definitely had something to prove and and you know the reports have been really good so far so you know I still feel like there's more risk with Cole but uh yeah I agree I mean he, he if he stays healthy Cole may 
get more K's, but but Carmart pound for pound, I think will be the better strikeout pitcher. So mm-hmm. I think we're we can give Mike a uh, you know consensus answer <laughs> on that one. Now he's also like I said, he's got some other questions here, and they both regard to the uh, outfield. And I think it is an interesting outfield that the uh, that the Cardinals have. Uh, now he's asking about uh, Randall Grichik. If he slumps again, and he's been a very much an up and down player the last couple of years, especially last year, got demoted. Uh, do you see if Grichik slumps again? Do you see Harrison Bader coming up, and what kind of impact could Bader have? He's looked good in spring training. So um, really, he has yeah. looked good. Yeah, I'm not sure that the Cardinals are looking to rush him. You know, um, some of the. Uh, uh, you know, when you go to the Cardinals, their their baseball sites, a couple have tried to compare like Tavares to uh, to Bader, and it's just curious. I mean, Tavares definitely had the higher ceiling, but you know he's been very solid in his recent production, even though he was only a third round draft pick. Um, Drichik is going to be one of those guys you don't really want him in a head to head league just due to the streakiness that his game lends itself to. But he was still a top prospect from the Angels. I don't know that the Cardinals are going to necessarily give up on him. Uh, it, it's just going to depend. It, it would, he would really, really have to be like down in the two twenties for them to make a change, uh, that drastic mid season this year. I just don't know that the Cardinals want to rush him as far as, I mean, as far as Bader goes. Right. And we also have to see too, if he can do, you know, do well at triple a, uh, he'd spent part of the year mm-hmm. there in 2016, not really great results. The uh, power that he showed, Double A, didn't didn't really carry over, and that's a very good power hitting park that the uh, Cardinals have at Double A. So that's always something mm-hmm. that you have to watch. You know, I remember watching that with Matt Adams and Alan Craig. You know, before him, is you know, are these monster power numbers gonna gonna carry over? We haven't seen that yet with Bader. So I, I agree with you. I think there could be a lack of opportunity for Bader, and and I'm not even sure that he'll you know put up the numbers to really really make an impact in, in 2017 for fantasy. But, uh, you know, somebody definitely to, to keep on your radar. And uh, shifting over to center field, Mike asks us, uh, Fowler is being ignored in my drafts. I've gotten him in round 15, round 15, and then round 20, three separate drafts. So he wants us to do an over-under. So uh, let's go category by category. 100 runs for Fowler leading off for the the Cardinals. I'm still going to take the under. In fact, I'm definitely going to take the under on that just because I always feel like it's a long shot that Fowler's going to play more than 130 or 140 games. Yeah, I projected him for 90, so under. But that's still a great total. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 15 home runs? Why why don't you uh, try that one first? Uh, I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I took the uh, I, again. I projected when I, I when I saw that question from Mike. I went back to my projections. I had 14 home runs, so I was slightly under. It doesn't mean he can't reach 15. I think he's in right about the right ballpark, but I'll, I'll go slightly under as well. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. 15 is a perfect over under. That's why I'm having a little trouble with it. But yeah, I think 13 or 14 to me is just a little more believable than 16 or 17. And again, the playing time, uh, the the health. That's a that's a good tiebreaker for me here because I just don't trust Fowler to be healthy for the whole season. And 15 steals, I'll take the over on that, slight over. All right, well, I, again, I forecast 14, so slightly <laughs> under. But, again, uh, again he, he 
the value on this was pretty dead on for what I had, uh, and I had a 276 average. So I mean, that almost encapsulated everything I had for Fowler in my preseason ranks. But he is very—I don't—he's kind of under the radar. I mean, you know, people are falling all over themselves to get Eaton, who we've discussed about how batting order could affect his production, and, and Fowler is just failing under the radar in regards to the, the similarity in value of the two versus. I mean, obviously Eaton's a better batting average guy, but. Fowler can still get those other peripheral stats. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, by the way. I don't see Fowler quite making 280. In fact, I'm, I'm not even sure about 276. But, you know, he, he's not going to hurt you in batting average. And and you make an excellent point about him leading off for what should be a very good offense. I think that's really an underrated thing for Fowler. So mm-hmm. he, definitely a good player to stash away on your uh on your list of of uh, potential values, uh, you know, somebody to see if you can you can get him at uh, his current ADP. And we got one more question here, but we have to head into break. So we're going to talk a little bit about Stephen Piscotty and round out this Cardinals outfield talk when we come back, and uh, then we'll move on and talk about relievers a bit. So stick around. Welcome back, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Happy Sunday to you. I'm your host, Al Melchior. I'm joined today by FanRag's Greg Hewitt. And a little bit of a World Baseball Classic update, because it looks like uh, the Dominican, Republican, uh, Dominican Republic has uh, picked up where they left off last night. No score up. Oh, I take that back. Just scored. Jose Bautista hits a sack fly to score Gene Segura, who led off with uh, a line drive single. So uh, they're uh, they're getting it going there, uh, and if uh, the Dominican wins this game, they're in for the next round. And if they uh, well, if they lose, then there could be a complicated tiebreaker scenario. Uh, and also, if they win, then uh, the U.S. gets to control their destiny uh, tonight against Canada. So uh, interesting, interesting stuff there. Uh, all right. Well, we just before the break, Greg. We were talking about the Cardinals. We were going through the outfield. We got some questions. Uh, we got one here from Ryan McGarry, at Real Ryan McGarry, who's asking us about Stephen Piscotty. Uh, wants to know how we like him for drafts this year, and could he make the jump into the next tier, or is he just going to repeat what he's already done? All right, so you want me to go first? You know what? I- I've got some some thoughts here. Um so yeah, if you want it for a second, <laughs> um, since I just threw that at you, um, I think Piscotti could be uh, something of a breakout candidate, but not in a way that I think a lot of people would expect and not in a way that I would have expected if I hadn't looked into this uh, a few weeks back. I think Piscotti, in, in terms of being a 270, 280 hitter and a 20 to 25 homer guy, that's you know essentially what he did last year. I think that's probably going to be his landing spot. He stole seven bases, though, and he also got thrown out five times. So not a great efficiency rate there. But one thing that caught my eye that, that I found very surprising, he's gotten a lot of infield base hits in his two seasons. He has a 14.1% infield hit rate, according to Fangraphs, and that's certainly going to help him keep his average afloat. But I think that there could be a little bit of stolen base upside. And, and Greg, you know, our good friend Nando DeFino, I don't know if you, you recall a few years back, but he was talking about Todd Frazier's speed before he mm-hmm. was really a stolen base guy. So Nando was really ahead of his time on that, saying you know, Todd Frazier has some stolen base potential. 
and it, it was he was a little bit of a late bloomer as far as that goes. And I could see Piscotti chipping in maybe with the somewhere around fifteen stolen bases. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that would elevate him, I think, to, to another level. Um, that's curious. I, I could I could see maybe 11 like he got in AAA in 2014, and he did the year before uh, between two levels in 2000, or excuse me, no, actually, 2013, he was a lot more aggressive on the bases. He yep. had 18 between the, the three levels. Uh, Frazier, I think, had a little better number, and, um, you know, it was always a matter of being allowed to run. Uh, what what I think will pigeonhole him a little though is I mean I, I'm not sure if he's gonna if he's hitting cleanup I don't know if he's gonna have as many opportunities to run unless he is leading off an inning if the top three go out in order if he gets right. on base he might swipe a bag and, and get moving over um, if I was doing an over under I'd probably put it around nine and hope for the over to maybe the eleven fifteen probably a little aggressive for me if he does it fantastic yeah, and then you that, that's an upside training. prediction yeah. Yeah, I think where his upside lies is in the RBI with the with the three batters ahead of him with such the high OBPs. Um, he could push towards if he hits fourth all year, um, that eighty five should swell to to in the high nineties to maybe even a run at a hundred RBIs. I mean that's just a great place to be with uh, with with Fowler's OBP, uh, Lemon Diaz, and then Matt Carpenter ahead of him. I mean those are all uh, three fifty OBP guys and higher. Yeah, now here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to take the, the other side on this, on the RBI question with Piscotty and, and you know, think that 100 is probably a little aggressive even in a cleanup mm-hmm. role because last year he hit 363 with runners in scoring position. So I think that really got, that got him up to 85 last year. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I think 90 is probably, you know, uh, for me, probably a, where I'd have a, a greater comfort, but not that I'm going to complain about that, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that the the addition of Fowler kind of balances out some regression that uh, that Piscotti mm-hmm. might have. But uh, yeah, I think at worst he repeats what he did last year, and there's certainly nothing nothing wrong with that at all. No. Now uh, the one thing we haven't talked about with the Cardinals is the bullpen. I don't think there's much to talk about there because Sanguano has that job wrapped up, and he was sensational last year um but relief pool in general greg how are you approaching this uh, how deep do you see it uh how much uh how aggressive do you want to be uh earlier on when the closer run starts uh what's what's your game plan for the reliever uh it it really varies um in the in the in the two um, i started the second one as well there uh there was one guy who took his um, I think it was the fourth and the fifth, or it was the third and the fourth. He went Chapman, Jansen, back-to-back on on a turn. He was like maybe 13th uh, out of the 15 teams. So as it came down to him, he hammered a one and took the other on the way back. Um, and that sort of sent a little panic through some of the other people. Um, but I just kind of sifted through it. I kept hitting uh, outfielders I liked or other positions that I liked. I was still able to get uh, Alex Colome, Um because what I did was I, I try and outline the tiers. So, you know, the, the top three, Chapman, uh, Jansen, and Britton are kind of the first tier. And then there's a there's a group of guys all in that second tier that could thrust themselves into the top five. Um, I had column A at the bottom of that. So when I saw the closers were starting to run out, I knew it was time to go get one. 
and then I'll uh, I'll bake in the rest as the as the draft goes with the 50 rounds. I can get a couple of uh, upside guys that that I like later on. So it really depends on the format. I'm lucky enough in the keeper league I'm in. I've got Giles and Diaz. You know, both of them are boom or bust kind of guys, but I got them for dirt cheap. So same deal with a with a fob all season long there i can i can afford to take a few more chances but i really think you need to adhere to the tiers you kind of see how it's running out uh and and my recap piece today i went through five six seven eight nine ten eleven i I went through 12 teams that could have turnover early in the season so i mean with that on tap it kind of makes that upper tier even more important to make sure you get at least one if not two well, that's that's a that's a great teaser, Greg. Because uh, and I don't want you to give it all away here, but um, definitely check that out. That'll be up later today. Um, and uh, I I certainly want to know who those twelve teams are. I mean, we could probably you know hazard a guess at, at, at quite a few of them. But go go check that out. Uh, you know that's 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 a good you know clickbaity uh, uh, teaser to to our wrap up. Find out who the twelve vulnerable closers are the 12 most vulnerable closers uh and it's the 14 one you know or, oh, 14 i'm sorry okay uh, no, uh, no i'm well, saying more about the teams i'm sorry that's my fault oh okay uh well check it out nonetheless and um yesterday greg we had our picks for um our, our top target which is you know it's always kind of a, a tough thing at a position to just isolate one player but, um, you know, in terms of, you know, who's your ultimate fallback, you know, who, who has the best value? You wrote about Kelvin Herrera. So what is it about Herrera that uh, makes him stand out for you? Um, he's going to be pretty secure in that job because I really don't see Saria uh, giving him any run for the money there. Um, taking over for Wade Davis, I think it should be a good transition for him. He showed well. He did, he did tire last year a little bit. His, uh, his last month of the season kind of depresses his value a little bit in EDP. But he uh, increased his uh, swinging strike rate last year. He was 10th of qualified relievers in his strikeout minus uh, based on ball percentage. Um, as long as he can keep the walks down, last year was the first year he really showed that reduced walk rate. But I'm hoping this is something he's building on going into his age 27 season, uh, taking the job with youth on his side and an increase in strikeout rate uh, with a depressed ADP made him my guy to target. You know, what's funny, when you look at the comments below the post where guys were like, you should be taking Jansen or whatever. I mean, putting Jansen as my reliever to target is pretty simple. We're trying to give you people that if people are doing what they did in my draft where somebody takes Jansen and Chapman back-to-back, who you can fall back to. I mean, you know, of course I love Kenley Jansen, but, you know, and and after we get done talking a little bit, do you see any residual effect like in Miller last year with the heavy usage in the playoffs? Uh, I worry about that a bit. You know, he blew up yesterday, but uh... – you know, I mean, that's an isolated, but yeah, but, uh, well, Greg, actually, I, I probably can't give that question the answer it deserves because we're almost <laughs> out, we're of out of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just going to take this opportunity to say, read the piece, read the draft guide, uh, read Greg's stuff. It's all great. And, uh, thank you for tuning in very much. And Greg also, thank you for filling in for me in the first segment. Uh, I'm your host, Al Melkier. We will be back tomorrow with Jim Finch. So, Have a great day, everyone, and uh, enjoy baseball.